Hey, this is Nicole DeBoer, a.k.a. Esri Dax, and you're listening to The Shuttle Pod. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 58 of The Shuttle Pod, where we are finally getting to one of the deep dives we wanted to do for a while now, uh, which is to talk about ships. And uh, I am I am your your co-host Jared. I'm joined by my friend Matt Wright. Hey, how's it going? And we have a very special guest today too, uh, Mr. Thomas Marone uh, of Star Trek Online. And I sure hope I said that right. Marone? It, it's Maroney. Um, Maroney. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, no. I have a I have a good story about um, uh, being in a class and a professor said Marone, and I'm like, it's Italian if that helps. And then he starts speaking to me in fluent Italian. I'm like, no, oh, it's not, not that Italian. <laughs> Your 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 name is Italian, but your passport isn't. <laughs> right. Oh <my> <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Th- Thomas, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and why it, it's exciting for us to have you on board for this discussion. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Um, I am the lead uh, Starship artist for the massively multiplayer Star game Star Trek Online. Um, I've been on the team for almost eight years, and I've been on the ship team for. Um, I'd say about four, um, four and a half years, um, but I'm in charge of the artists who make all of the spaceships for the game. So uh, this is, uh, it's my job, and it's also uh, a really huge passion of mine, is uh, the Star Trek ships. So is that is that kind of like a dream job type of thing? Like your job is playing Star Trek? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's um, you know, there, <laughs> there's a, there was a thing going around a few days ago about like, do what you love and you never work a day in your life and then never work a day in your life is crossed out and it's like you'll have no boundaries always be anxious you know (laughs) (laughs) there's truth to that yeah yeah i think it's better to do something you're passionate about than you love because sometimes within what you love you hate but i hope you don't hate star trek no no i love star trek and it's been such a huge opportunity for me to to do what i do and and focus that passion into something that it makes me employable, which um, uh-huh. I am, will be forever grateful for. Yeah, and now now STO is through Cryptic, right? Yeah, uh, it's uh, the game is uh, developed by Cryptic Studios and published by Perfect World Entertainment. We're on um, PC, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4, and it's a free-to-play MMO. Uh, you can just download the game, try it out. Um, if you like it, keep playing. If you don't, you can move on. But um, but yeah, it's um, you know it's been going. The game itself has been going. Uh, it'll be nine years in February, which is crazy. Um, to have a licensed MMO like last that long is is pretty incredible. Right, nine years. Yeah. Wow. Nine years. Um, are you, are you allowed to like say how many like monthly users you have and that kind of stuff? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, but, that's fine. That's no, fine. but it's you know it goes it goes up and down right with with uh, when we launch sure. new things we get a peak. Um, and then it kind of settles down for a while, and that's that's why you have a release cadence with uh, massively multiplayer oh, games. Oh, okay, sure. Like sure. Like, uh, like new seasons or whatever. Yeah, right. So in STO, yeah. we call them seasons. Uh, World of Warcraft just launched a big expansion um, for them, and actually, so we have um, smaller releases we call seasons, and then larger releases we call expansions. And we just had a DS9 themed expansion in the summer that people really enjoyed. Um, yes, that was, that was very oh cool. sure. To tie in with cool the 25th anniversary. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and we had uh, we had a really great panel at Star Trek Las Vegas about it, uh, where we actually had a lot of DS9 cast members come up and talk about oh, a little cool. bit about their experience with the game, and then, you know, more, mostly about making the show, but it, it was a lot of fun. 
Oh, that's great. And and were you on that panel or were you just? I, like, I was actually. Things? I was on like six panels this year. It was crazy. Rat. You were you were busy. <laughs> yeah, times. I was very busy. <laughs> um, yeah, I talked a little bit about um, about the ships. You know, because we had to design a lot of new Dominion ships. We also created new ships for the alien race known as the Herc. Which uh, played a feature oh, yeah, role from, in the expansion. Oh, yeah, like Klingon ancient history. Yeah, so right. you only hear about them, and that's one of the great things about Star Trek Online is that you take those little threads like the Herc or the Zenkethi, uh, you know... That, or the, the Husnok or whatever. Right, the Husnok. Like, things you kind of just hear about and you know very little about, and then we actually expand them quite a bit. So, like, we have a whole... Um, so, like... Uh, Scotty's Dyson Sphere, right? We have a whole set of missions where you find out like who made that and why, um, and then you uh, and you find another Dyson Sphere, and you go to the Delta Quadrant, and you uh, interact with the Voth, the dinosaur people. So there's, oh uh, yeah, oh nice. Yeah. So there's all these threads that that are all tied together. Um, it's 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 so much fun being that, like taking those those loose ends and and creating something that kind of creates this whole bigger tapestry for the story of star trek so yeah like the, the memory memory beta stuff yeah yeah absolutely so uh, i the only mmo i have ever played was champions online which i think is also by cryptic yeah, absolutely yeah which is like a superhero mmo i played that that came out like right after iron man dropped you know 10 years ago and so i i played that and i put that with my nephew and nieces uh, and I played Star Trek Online a little bit, but I I have not been the biggest MMO player in the world, for for good or for ill. Um, one of my problems is Thomas is I'm self-employed, and so if I get into a video game, I can really get into it. Right? right. There's nothing to stop me, so I kind of need to be careful. So uh, <laughs> it's nice to be able to sort of dip my toes in it with 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 being able to talk to you about it. And now this may this may be silly, but like, how much do you play the game itself? Like, do you also still play it like on your own, or is all the playing you do just connected to your uh, uh, professional time? Right, right. So um, I actually started as a player before I got a job at Cryptic, um, and kind of how I got my job uh, was um, I was playing the game and I liked it, but I thought they could add they should add some things to make kind of the sciency parts of the game more interactive. So I did some mm -hmm. some graphic design mockups of some mini games that, you know, if they added this to the game when you're scanning things or interacting with a computer, it would just you know have a you'd have a little bit more fun and you'd uh, the world would feel a little more alive and you'd feel like you're mm -hmm. doing the science right and um, mm -hmm. so so Cryptic saw those mockups and actually bought the art, put that in the game and eventually hired me to work on the game. Oh. So. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, so uh, good for you, man. Yeah, so I, I've been, you know, I, I played um, a lot. Obviously, before I got hired, after I got hired, I still played a lot. Um, it's as I kind of have risen up the ranks, I learn more and more about stuff long before we actually do it, and so it's it's a little less like urgent that I need to go and play the brand new mission because I know the, the beats <laughs> yeah. and everything. But I still I still play and I still keep up with the plot and stuff. I'm not. Um, I'm not super into a lot of the things that make MMOs unique in terms of like end game, you know, chasing the elite gear and all that stuff. So, oh, uh, sure, achievements and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that stuff isn't doesn't appeal to me as a gamer too much. But, um, but we so we have that for Star Trek Online because it's an MMO and that's you know that's bread and butter for MMOs. But really, one of the things I love about Star Trek Online and I think one of the things that makes it really unique as an MMO is how much like really rich story content is in it and so that's what i love about sto and that's what we keep delivering with every release is new episodes that um 
you know, shine new lights on different corners of the Star Trek universe. So we're about to do that with Discovery too, and I'm really, I think people are really going to enjoy what we've, we're bringing to the table there. That's awesome. Okay, well, we uh, it's it's fun to to hear you talk about it. We're delighted since you're helping us with our podcast to give you some chance to promote it, and so hopefully some of our listeners, if they're not into STO, will will take a chance to to play it because it's a freemium model, so they can at least try it out and uh, go from there if they want to. Yeah, great. Thanks for letting me uh, chat about the game a bit. I appreciate nope. it. No problem. Uh, no problem. We're delighted to. And like I say, we are, are, are the main thing, the main reason we wanted to, to have you on the show after after we met you at uh, STLV in Las Vegas uh, was that we, we wanted to do an episode about ships and we wanted to sort of drill into to your expertise there. But there was some news that dropped yesterday and we just wanted to talk a little bit about it. Matt, do you, do you want to say anything about this, about the Picard news? Sure. Um, for folks who don't know, <clears throat> a well-regarded author, Michael Chabon, and we've talked about him on our podcast before, is an executive producer for the new Picard show. And every once in a while, he'll sort of surface on his Instagram and drop mostly kind of esoteric hints at things. And he dropped one the other day that seems kind of too good to pass up, where he talked about... Um, the, the the date ending in 99 a lot. He actually started with a Space 1999 graphic, which is kind of funky and obscure, right? But he said 99ers a lot. And where, of course, this leads us is that would be the year 2399, which is what was said at, at, at Las Vegas. But no one's, you know, nailed it down specifically. They just said, oh, next Picard show will be 20 years. And we kind of figured that was approximate because it's really been about 16 since Nemesis in the real world. So we weren't sure, you know, if they were rounding up or like what they're going to do. But it sure seems like he was kind of hinting to us that the year the show is set in is 2399. So it's exactly 20 years after Nemesis. Mm -hmm. So tw 20 years after Nemesis, how, it, so, um, that would be a little bit after when All Good Things would have happened, right? Because All Good Things is 25 years after the end of the show. And right, then and, and of course... Yeah, oh, sorry. And of, and, well, and of course, All Good Things was... I mean, that's Q's toying sure. with, with yeah. Jean-Luc there. None of that future is set in stone, as we know. A lot of stuff yeah. has already changed. Yeah. So... Yeah. So, so uh, Thomas, what what do you think? What would you want to see in a Picard show set in 2399? Um, man, uh, I... Um, I don't know. It's it's really interesting. I'm really excited that they're going forward. I think everybody is. Um, uh, that mm -hmm. you know they're gonna show what what's gonna happen after everything. I think I think there are so many you know that era. If they if they keep the um, the destruction of Romulus, which they should, because that is canon in the prime timeline. That uh, yes, <clears throat> and I really think they will yeah. too. By the way. Uh, and well, and it <laughs> sets up some really interesting social political. Um, opportunities for storytelling because what that does is you have a situation where this really powerful empire is now completely decimated and you have an in yeah. uh, you know will there be an influx of romulan refugees mm -hmm. that like sure. the federation yeah. will have to deal with and what will if picard is still in a position of political importance you know he's not going to be a starship captain obviously yeah i assume yeah but if he's an ambassador no i mean he's ex he's explicitly said he wouldn't be a captain right 
He said that in Vegas. So well, what if he's like the president of the Federation? Like, you know, like mm, sure. all sorts of crazy ideas. But uh, I mean, yeah. and he could be chilling out at his winery, too. I know some people want to watch that show. <laughs> yeah. Like, sure. Yeah. We've, we've talked about that. We, <laughs> Downton, we call that the Downton old man Picard, Picard show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and then like, what if what if like the uh, uh, the the uh, Klingons and the Cardassians want to get some revenge on the Romulans? So then they start like grabbing la- uh, planets, and the Federation is like, "Whoa, hey, we got to chill out." And the Klingons like, "No way, we've been blood enemies with these guys for a hundred years, right?" And so then that could create some triangular diplomacy problems. So there's a lot of cool stuff they could do if they wanted to do it kind of the the space politics route. Right. Yes. Yes. But you know, I I don't know if that's what. If that's, I don't know if that that's the story if they want to tell or if they want it to be a lot more personal to Picard. Yeah, so they do that, seem to that, be, that is what I would assume. Yeah, mm-hmm. they do seem to be pretty strongly hinting it's very personal. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Rather than rather than um, hopping galaxies, we should give some context so that twenty three ninety nine gets mighty close to the time of Star Trek Online, which is one of the reasons why I think Thomas might have a few things to say. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It. I. I. I I was there, actually there at SDLV in the room, uh, you know, when they announced it. And I think all of us probably were. Yeah, we were. It was it was amazing, wasn't it? It was amazing. Uh, it was amazing for me for like two minutes, and then <laughs> and I looked at my girlfriend <laughs> and I thought about like, oh, oh, that's like ten years before our game. Oh no! <laughs> oh boy! Yeah. <laughs> like a yeah, like a a very much a quantum leap. Oh boy, kind of like <laughs> reaction. Like I mean, you know, I it's gonna be amazing. Like I'm really excited there that CBS is expanding Star Trek. That they're gonna make more Star Trek, and anything you know, anything Patrick Stewart does is gonna have integrity, which I think is oh yeah 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 really yeah. Yeah. an important thing to say. But it, you know, it's it's definitely gonna have repercussions for us. I mean, as long as. I, you know, we don't we ha- we have a timeline written out of what happens kind of in the lead up to Star Trek Online, um, mm-hmm. so we might have to refactor some of that as long as like the Federation still exists and Earth still exists, <laughs> yeah, right? Starfleet still exists, like all of those. I think things. you can be pretty sure that's going to be true. Least, I, so I hope good. so. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if yeah. if they mess with those kinds of things, then we'll have to we'll have to really kind of recalibrate. We'll have to just say okay well i guess star trek online is its own timeline or you know or we totally retool the game but you know that's that's uh it would take it it takes months like half a year you know for us to to recalibrate something on that scale so oh sure we wouldn't be able to catch up until much after you know after the show is aired depending on how much of a head start cbs gave us yeah but but then after it airs think of all the cool stuff you'd have to play with oh yeah yeah, well, we've already... and, and and as well as if there if there's I mean there's going to be so much enthusiasm connected to this. You guys are going to get a lot more subscriptions from this, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean we uh... right that'll definitely give you a boost. <laughs> well, It'll be like a little spot shot of space steroids. We've already seen it a little bit with Discovery in terms of people like the game really keeping its legs and people being interested. And um, you know when we we added. Um, the Discovery, Shenzhou, and the Sarcophagus ship to the game at the beginning of the oh, year, right. and uh, people went nuts over them. They were super excited to get them. So, um, and then we're you know in October we're doing our, our first big drop of Discovery related missions. We've got Mary Wiseman um, yes. is going to come and play Tilly cool. for us. Oh, uh, perfect! Yeah, yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be great. And so you know we're going to see firsthand how a new live Star Trek show helps us. 
and I think it's obvious that it's going to help us a lot. But having more than one is is great. So we'll see. I I would love it personally if they took a look at what we've done and if they decided to like if we have an Enterprise F in our game. So if they if they actually showed that in the show, like and respected that, that would be. I don't expect it, but that would. Uh, I could die happy because I actually worked on that ship. So I, <laughs> oh, that'd bit, be so I, cool. Yeah, I, I contributed to that in a, a couple different ways. But like, yeah, it would be amazing. So I don't expect it. I mean, it's very rare that you have uh, a studio do something like that. But you know, uh, one of the, I've been really impressed with how much they've wanted to coordinate our efforts between the comics and the um, you know with STO and some of the other things with Discovery right, and, right. and the books, the novels. For discovery, right. so if they if they want to do that for everything, not just discovery, then then there's a chance that yeah. uh, we'll have some synergy there. So who knows? Well, Kirsten Byer is also involved in the Picard series. She's sort of you know the the queen of like the CBS expanded universe in that sense. So there's at least hope, right? Yeah, because she's involved in all kind of asset you know facets of, of things. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll see. I don't I I know what you guys know in terms of all this so i'm really anxious to learn more for for obvious reasons yeah i well, think we're all what, dying to learn more they, well what what they need to do is they need to take you like for site visits like four months ahead of time yeah. and like really make you the main guy who learns all the spoilers <laughs> and gets the vip treatment right yeah of course you you deserve it don't uh, you thomas obviously right. <laughs> be sure to bring us with you and you can yeah okay so so that we appreciate being a chance to go into that appreciate a chance to talk to you about the the news item uh, which did kind of give a little a little delay to our discussion but let's get to do a deep dive into into ships uh, and and uh, I, uh, all we ask is a tall ship and plenty of merchandise to sell connected to it <laughs> so <laughs> i felt pretty clever when i thought of that okay so so thomas we've talked about this a little bit before but but uh particularly interested in your opinions why do people love the ships why why do they have such strong opinions and connections to them? Um, well, I, I've always seen the Enterprise as a character, right? It's mm-hmm. Star Trek is it's about Kirk and Spock and Bones and Uhura and Chekhov and Sulu and Scotty, but it's also about the Enterprise. And the Enterprise yeah. is the thing that's brought all of these other characters together, right? It's, yeah. it's their home. It's their protection. You know, it's, it's all these things. Um, and, and I think a lot of other people identify with it the same way. You, you know, you see uh, every time you watch an episode of Star Trek and the theme music starts to w- swell up and then you see Enterprise fly past. You know you're going on an adventure and the, Inter- the Enterprise is what's going to take you there. Um, so I, I think, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's an emotional part of the journey of Star Trek is, is the, the ship, the vehicle. I mean, Janeway... Um, cared about Voyager as much as she cared about any of the other people, <laughs> you know. Like, uh, you know, Cisco mm-hmm. had a relationship with the Defiant and and DS Nine. Like, these these things are uh, are places and companions, and and they go with you. And uh, yeah, it's there's there's an emotional bond with these machines that, that make these stories possible. Yeah, yeah. Some, something I loved about the Defiant is it been established that. Cisco had been working on uh, U- the Utopia Planitia shipyards, right? Right, yeah. And and so they kind of retconned that he designed the fi- Defiant. So it wasn't just the captain, but he was also kind of like the, the midwife for it as well. Right, yeah. <laughs> no, I actually... I had midwife, a, I like it. I have a friend Thank in the you. Navy who had a similar job to the job that Cisco talked about doing on the Defiant, except his was like nuclear submarines, which is pretty cool. 
but that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wait, so he worked on nuclear weapons? Yeah, he did. <laughs> well, he was he sir, he was a you know he was um, a submariner and he was the XO on a sub and and then after that he worked on like doing office jobs and stuff, but you know a, like supervising construction and things like that. Right. Yeah. Cool. Oh, this is really cool. Have you spent any time on uh, uh, on navy vessels, either of you guys? Uh, no, I, I haven't, but. I wouldn't mind touring a few just for the interest of it. Oh, you know? sure. That's what I yeah. meant. More from a museum standpoint, not yeah, an active I've, duty standpoint. I've toured a couple of World War II ships way long ago, but not as an adult. So I would like to do that as an adult. So the first time I met Kayla, who unfortunately couldn't be with us tonight, uh, it was when she was living in the Bay Area. And we had lunch. And then at, that afternoon, I went up to Alameda to see the the, the West nuclear vessels there. <laughs> they don't really have nuclear submarines you can go on and steal no. their photonic energy or whatever. <laughs> but they do have like a, a museum, just like a battleship from or aircraft carrier from World War Two that you can that you can go tour. And so that was really cool. And it's kind of terrifying when you think about it, because like when you look at the Enterprise D, it, it, it's like a hotel in right, space, yeah. right? It's like <laughs> yes, a five-star yes. hotel. And there's like that scene in Relics where Scotty gets his guest quarters and the ensign says, if it's not big enough for you, we can find something bigger. And he says, Laddie, you know, in my day, even an admiral wouldn't get something right, like this. Yeah. And then, yep. then you look at old ships and they're just tiny. And then when I was in Boston in July, I visited the USS Constitution. Oh, cool. Which is like the, the only like tall sailing ship that still exists. <laughs> from its original construction and that stuff was like you had a hammock and when you were weren't when you were on duty someone else was in your hammock right, right? yeah right. that's how the right. hot base these poor these poor guys had the uh, wow. constitution yeah. is it's pretty amazing that's a you know it's the um like you said it's a, a tall ship it's still considered active service in the u.s yeah. navy yeah um, they take it out like four times a year yeah and it's it's the only sh ship in the navy that has actually sunk an enemy vessel <laughs> is that right? Oh, yeah, because there hasn't been open naval open naval warfare since like World War Two. Right, right. Exactly. I guess that's right, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and and then of course I was fond of it because I think you know they took the Constitution class from that ship. Mm. Yeah, I think sure. I think that, and there's a great um, well, and the so in the um, uh, Archer's ready room, there's a, a bunch of sketches that John Eves did of all oh, the yeah. Enterprise ships. Mm -hmm. There's a tall ship there representing, you know, the sailing one of the sailing ships. There are like four of them, but um, but that drawing is actually of the Constitution, like the drawing oh, he uses. Cool. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Huh. So we, I mean, we talk, you mentioned a little bit about Voyager and Defiant. So we, but we'll we'll drill into the Enterprise the most because there's been the most of them in that name. But what is it about Star Trek ships and the Enterprise specifically that makes it so iconic, right? I mean, the only thing I think that might be more iconic than it is the Millennium Falcon, and even then, I'm not sure. Yeah, I would, I would think that, I don't know, they're probably about equal. Although, um, uh, you know, I, I, I have, I have my own suspicions why, um, and it has actually a lot to do with graphic design. Um, that's sort of what I. That's why I started in with graphic design, and one of the things you learn uh, about logos is, um, and it's the same thing Matt Groening uh, says this about cartoon characters too, is that the best cartoon characters you can identify them with just a silhouette, right? You can just you can take mm -hmm. away oh, all sure. the lines, mm -hmm. all the color, and all you see is the oh, outline. That's a great of it. quote. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and like Mickey Mouse, Bart Simpson, 
Uh, uh, yeah, Homer. There's even an episode where they do like a Homer as a Alfred Hitchcock thing, and we just see him as a silhouette. Yeah, yeah. And and but you still know exactly who it is, right? And that's the same thing with the McDonald's logo and Nike, um, these corporate logos that have endured for such a long time. Is you don't need any color information, you don't need details. You can just see the, that shape, and you know exactly what it is. And the Enterprise and the Millennium Falcon and some other ships are the exact same way. Like you can, oh yeah, you can look at the Enterprise without any color, just a white shape on a black background, and mm. and and you know, okay, two nacelles and you know a dangly thing and a saucer, yeah. and like oh, that's the Enterprise. That's oh yeah. There's no other I, sh- I, thing that looked I like doodled, that. I doodled, yeah, I doodled the Enterprise in many a notebook, you know, in school. Oh, and it's just, nice. It's, because you know it, it's it's the basic shapes, and you're like, yep, and you can see it in clouds. You know, you can see it everywhere. You're like, yep, there's the basic shapes. That's the Enterprise. Yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, something when when I was a kid, we played this uh, Star Trek role playing game, and you know, this friend of mine who wasn't a big Star Trek fan, he was looking at the cover, and he's like, oh, the Enterprise is like they took the two classic spaceship designs, a rocket ship and a flying saucer, and they just put them together. <laughs> and I'm like, kind, oh kind yeah, of, why did I that. never realize that? <laughs> Yeah, it's um, uh, and Matt Jeffries was the guy who uh, a genius, uh, really, who designed the Enterprise, and he went through a lot of of sketches and um, iterations before he settled on that configuration, and and one of the things, oh I didn't know that yeah yeah one of the things that yeah. that Gene told him was that it can't look like a fifty sci fi serial ship there yeah they're gonna be that's... yeah. That's the exact opposite of what they were going for there. Right, so. right. There, there are going to be no fins. There's going to be no smoke, um, yeah. no rocket. Like, and so, so Jeffries had to really think, uh, like, really far outside the box of what had been previously done in science fiction because Roddenberry wanted Star Trek to be taken more seriously than a lot of science fiction had been up until that point. Um, and so, uh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm just like, yeah, if it had looked like just a Flash Gordon rocket ship, right. I don't think we'd be here talking about it today. No, it no, absolutely so not. Uh, sorry, sorry to cut you off. No, that's fine. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I actually did a whole um, – we have a local observatory in Oakland, and I did a whole presentation on the design of the Enterprise for them. So I, like, have all my notes pulled up about oh, all that stuff because it was something that I, you know, I, I went into pretty deeply. So I'll, I'll, I'll cut to the chase. The, the, so Jeffrey's had to, like – make a a silhouette that's very distinctive and Roddenberry wanted the ship to feel like it was going really fast which meant that you know you have the right in the original the opening credits of the original series it like flies by the screen and you hear the whoosh and uh but it's it's, it actually is really fast like and that's how he communicated kind of the speed of faster than light travel and um to get that to still read that that was the enterprise that's why you had all these disparate the saucer and then the cells and the the engineering section that's kind of why he landed on that configuration because you could have that tilting towards you and still make out those individual shapes it wouldn't just be like a big rectangle or a big cylinder right right? um which is really interesting like all these different things he had to contend with huh yeah well thanks for sharing that i had no idea of that kind of stuff Uh, appreciate the uh the the um uh, uh historical context okay let's kind of flip that around though um given that he had to avoid so much of what had come before that jeffries had how much do do you think designers have with new starfleet ships from deviating from that model right um does that make sense yeah yeah uh well it's that's a that's certainly a fine line um 
because you do want to and you don't want to um, and you you want to make sure like the shape of the Enterprise is basically kind of Star Trek's brand identity in a way like a, a Star Trek ship nacelles mm-hmm. you know that the saucer like all of that stuff part of you want people to see that like oh that's a Star Trek ship at least, you know that's a Starfleet ship and I think the Defiance probably one of the biggest the farthest yeah. away they've been able to get away from that right um, yeah it's almost just a box in a way right um, yeah but um, it, it, it's all about I guess what you're trying to do in the context you you have for what you're doing if you if you're making an enterprise so if you're making the Enterprise D or the Enterprise E or in Star Trek Online's case the Enterprise F then I think mm-hmm. you can't get away from the uh, the layout that you've had that we've had right where you have the saucer above the engineering hall with two nacelles attached to that I think I think that's kind of the skeleton that you have to grow your ship around otherwise it's just yeah. not going to feel like an Enterprise um, I think the f- farthest i mean the enterprise j um oh yeah, that's uh, yeah I'm, I'm looking at pictures of it right now yeah. on, on the internet is is a pretty big departure and i think people have reacted negatively to that i think i think but that that was designed intentionally to be really out there like that was doug Drexler's oh, yeah. mission sta- yeah. statement when he designed that was he's like oh this is like a 26th century like far future ship like how crazy can i make it um right mm. uh and it was originally just on a console in the background right, so right. It really you know yeah um but he still has you know the two nacelles it still has a big saucer like it doesn't have the secondary hole anymore but um it that it kind of got meshed into the into the saucer got combined yeah but mm-hmm. but that's also what they do with like the reliant uh and like the nebula class and like the akira class so there, there's plenty of others where they've made that change but that's and then the nx01 is like that too right right and i think that the NX-01 can get away with it as an Enterprise because it's the first. So right. so they could... So it did need to look a little um, runty, I guess, compared to the <laughs> the um, Constitution class. And actually, I really yeah. loved when they did uh, In a Mirror Darkly and you got to see them next to each other. Because, like, mm. in that context, I was like, yeah, I think the, the Defiant could probably beat up the NX-01. You know, like, there was... There were all these... Uh, you know, everybody complained about how advanced the NX-01 looked when it was first right. came out. But actually, right. I feel like when you put them next to each other, like, um, and a lot of what Doug Drexler, the guy who designed the NX-01, was trying to do with all the exposed paneling and machinery and stuff was to show something that was more kind of uh, garage, like, yeah. you know, like, like uh, we, we were not going to put panels yeah. on this because we're going to have to rip them off every day anyway. You know, like yeah. that kind, of, like yeah. the Y-wing in Star Wars, right? It's just like <laughs> here's just a ton of pipes because because we can't be yeah. bothered because um, yeah. it's always going to break. Yeah, there down. were a lot of lot of service hatches on the NX-01 and things like right, that. Right, right. Yeah. So, um, so it's a little less clean. Yeah, it was less clean oh, yeah. and and uh, more noisy. Um, but I think it's a good point that you have to you have to figure out where the balance is and you have to figure out what you're pushing. Um, uh, I'm trying to. I, I want to try to be a bit more specific. I think the, the, you have more freedom with things like the Reliant or or the uh, Nebula, where it's not a hero ship, right? So you can really like right. rearrange things and like, oh, I'm going to put the nacelles below the saucer and see what that looks like. 
Um, or like the uh, the Grissom, where the nacelles are like right on the side. Yeah, yeah, that's a cool ship too. Um, uh, do you guys know about the um, the Reliant? How what happened? Like the um, Harv Bennett uh, signed the design no. of it upside down. Upside down, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's a yeah. Uh, love oh, it. Oh, so he thought it was, he thought he that thought the nacelles were on top still. Ah. <laughs> no, no. Well, no. It was it's the opposite. Where they designed it where the nacelles were on top. Oh, no, you're right. Yeah, and right, then and right. Har Bennett signed, he it, signed upside up down. it So they're like, they got right. it back. Like, well, he approved it, but he approved, but his signature is upside down. So That's right. I forgot about that. When yeah. he sees it, he's going to think that that we built it the wrong way or something, so they just flipped everything over. And that, Rather than just go back and double check. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, this was... Uh, I mean, they had to FedEx the blueprints oh, to him, yeah, right? Oh, yeah, of course. They couldn't just send a follow-up email. Right. Yeah, because yeah, remember, we're talking, like, ILM's up in Marin County. Right. Harvest in an office down in L.A. Yeah, it's not... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was 80, yeah. 83 or something, like... It, it would have been, like, 81. 81, yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. yeah. No, no emailing a PDF of the latest specs back and forth, yeah. so... Yeah. Okay, so next we want to talk going to the Discovery stuff. Well, before we do that, I, want, I wanted to ask, do we oh, all have a favorite Enterprise... Because I do. Like Let's a favorite hear it. Design. Let's hear it. Well, I'm I'm definitely partial to the the refit, specifically the TMP version of the refit with the amazing pearlescent paint job that it had. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I would agree. That's my favorite version of the Enterprise. Is the the movie? The movie it, the it's hard to beat. Version. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I, I, it's so dignified. This is gonna be a boring segment because I think we're just gonna be like, yep. Uh, we're all gonna be like, yeah, everybody <laughs> well, likes I, it. I, yeah. I want to make an argument, and I think Neil deGrasse Tyson made an argument about this too that his favorite spaceship was the original original enterprise because there had been nothing like it when it came out like how we we're talking about oh, before sure. like it was sure of course like no other science fiction uh ship up until that time and and what i like about it is that because um and because it is relatively simplistic like in terms of design it looks like something like oh yeah i could i could see us building that one day you know what i mean like it's not it's not doesn't have a lot of frilly, greebly stuff on it. It's yeah. it looks like it's built. It looks it looks like it looks the way it does because it needs to look that way. Um, that the form follows function, right? I will say there there's an interesting irony to especially because of things like Star Wars coming along, where everything has greebles on it and stuff. And so now people think the Enterprise looks not as advanced. Right. It's like. No, you don't understand. That's the whole point. Like the material science has worked out to the point where they can make it smooth. Right. It, it can be this very pulled together, almost you know, one piece. Yeah. You know, kind of design. And in a way, um, I mean, Matt Jeffries was too smart for because, like, he uh, like it's not that they couldn't have added greebles to it. It wasn't a right. budget decision. It was a creative decision because Matt Jeffries wanted all of the he was like, okay, if you're going to build a spaceship, you're going to put all the important shit on stuff. Excuse me. I don't know what your rating is. It's it's fine. Okay. You're going to put all your important stuff on the inside. You, you can use yes. any swear word but the big three. Okay. <laughs> that's that's what Marge Simpson says to Bart one episode. She's like, you can swear in the house. Anything but the big three. Okay. Um, but, yeah, so you're going to put all of the important stuff on the inside so people can fix it without putting on a spacesuit, right? And so right, good, because right. everybody else told him, like, well, add some add some junk to the outside of it. He's like, no, that's not how – if you're gonna, you want this to be a realistic spaceship, that's not what they're going to look like. 
So, uh, so I, you know, I always thought that was fascinating because a lot of people look at the Enterprise and because it is clean, think it was mm -hmm. a, a, you know, it was a low budget. But like, um, that, that model is huge. That, that thing's like eleven feet long. Um, oh yeah. It that was yeah. they did not, you know, and they, you know, it's made of like wood. Like they didn't. I think that was probably the most expensive thing they did. Like the most expensive mm. single thing they did for TOS was probably. I mean, if you don't, if you count like the chair like all the furniture for the bridge and stuff separately but like um the most expensive artifact i'll say that for the show had to have been that model um and it's yeah. beautiful uh did you, have you guys been in the smithsonian to see it after? yeah I, I i used to live in dc so i i saw that they had some special thing where you could one uh, and i wrote an article about it for trick movie where you could go back like behind the scenes of the smithsonian and see it while they were cleaning it up no that's so and cool it, it it was not a terrible experience yeah yeah <laughs> um i only i didn't get to see that i just got to see it after they put it back on display and it um it was incredible um it's it was a religious experience for me but that's just because oh, i like wow. right. ship so much right. this was your <laughs> yeah. uh this was your pilgrimage to mecca exactly yeah so so um you mentioned favorite ships like I mean, some ships are specifically, you know, they're because the Enterprise casts such a big shadow. Like the Defiant was specifically made to not look pretty, right? Because they're like, oh, this is a warship; it's small, and so, like, like you say, they kind of made it so it looks like basically just a hamburger, right? Right. Um, but but I do like Voyager. I do, I do think Voyager looks good, and I know there's like no point to it, but I do like how the little nacelles <laughs> like cock yeah. when or, oh, or, yeah. or whatever the activate maybe is a better word before they go to warp even though that's like it's like a limitation that they've never had to have before but it still is cool yeah it's cool and it's it's interesting to see i think the voyager is a really good example of taking those starfleet elements and pushing them in weird ways right like we're gonna make it really flat and then we're gonna mm -hmm. stretch out the saucer so you know, the Enterprise D stretched out the saucer um, into an ellipse that was horizontal, or I guess perpendicular to the angle of thrust, and then mm -hmm. the Voyager stretched it out um, parallel to the angle of thrust. And so, like, and then that has a whole, whole different, it's like a whole different shape. Um, uh, Rick Sternbach designed the Voyager, uh, and he, you know, he's really cool because he did a lot of space art before he started working on Star Trek. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, and so he did a lot of like uh, paintings for NASA and uh, you know of uh, real space equipment and stuff. And so he had a really grounded understanding of the science. Um, uh, and him and Mike Kuda uh, worked on the um, TNG Tech Manual, where they, you know, it was based on a, a Bible they made for the writers of TNG, like discussing like yeah. this is what EPS means. Right. This yeah. is mm. the tech manual. I don't know about right. you guys, but I pour. I poured over. Yeah, that. yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, you you had all that. the specs and diagrams at home. Right. <laughs> exactly. uh, the other ship I liked was the uh, the Sutherland class. We, oh no, the Nebula class. Sorry. Mm -hmm. And yeah, then we Nebula. first time we saw it was the USS Sutherland. Right. Uh, I like that. I I could never tell if like the thing on top was like living quarters or if that was like a, a weapons array or something. But but Sounds I. Like uh, module sensor module yeah. thank you well but I, I always liked that one too it, well it was cool because for the nebula class um the first time you saw it was the uss phoenix um, yeah in uh, the wounded yeah in the wounded uh which is a phenomenal which episode one of my favorite episodes. Episodes. Yeah, yeah. so good yeah. um and it had a different it had a kind of an awax um pod like a big radar type pod 
right, um, right. on it. And then the next time you saw, well, I don't know if it was the next time you saw that class, but like the next big moment you see Nebula class is the USS Sutherland, like you were saying, and that has a different pod on it. So they actually changed yeah. out the pod. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was a very like it was cool because it's like oh, this is like a really mission specific starship. Oh, sure. Like, to show that the, the ship designs can be a little modular right. based on what right. they're assigned And that's for. actually, that's cool for us in Star Trek Online, because one of the big things that we do with ships, specifically, is let you swap parts and stuff. Um, right. Right, so right. you're like, oh, I like this saucer, but I want these nacelles, and, and this neck, and these pylons, and all that stuff, and then you can have your own, like, customized starship, um, uh, which is a lot of fun. Um, but uh, Yeah, that is cool. And, and, you know, with an MMO, people demand that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, when I played Champions, I probably spent more time working on, like, the heroes' different costumes than I actually did playing the game. Right. Okay, <laughs> the, the other one like that that I have to mention is the Soyuz class, which we only see in one episode in Cause and Effect. It's the one where uh, Fraser Crane is the captain. And it's the same kind of ship as the Reliant, but it's yeah. got this... It looks like a big gun turret on the back. But instead, they I think they said it was like a, a sensor array. But in my mind, it will always be a gun turn. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are um, there are four of those guns because there are two on the side and then one on the top and one on the bottom attached. The, and there's this big. They added a big like back end to it that stretched out the back. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, I I had to build this ship for STO, so I uh, <laughs> and I did hey. it pretty recently. Thomas, the thing that I'm enjoying about this is I think you know more just on your own than I do reading all this off of memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I mean, that's... I, at least you can't I can, be the ship guy right. without, you know... Like, yeah, yeah, I have the excuse yeah. that it's my, it is my job, so I have that right, going for sure. me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's, let's uh, jump to, to some newer stuff. How do the ships in Discovery follow this tradition? How do we think that the Discovery ships are, are doing? Well, I think the you know the Discovery herself was pretty controversial the first time that that yes. we saw her. Um, I like it a lot. Um, it uh, it was clearly inspired by one of um, the early concepts for the Enterprise. Um, they were going to make a, a movie called Star Trek: Planet of the Titans. And they hired huh. uh, Ralph McQuarrie, who was a concept artist on Star Wars, sure. an iconic, yeah. iconic guy uh, who's done some incredible concept art for Star Wars. Um, to d but he did some concept art for the Star Trek movie. And so he did an Enterprise uh, design completely different from the TV show that had a big triangular engineering section. So you had the saucer oh, okay. and the triangular section, engineering section, and then, you know, in the cells. And like a standard Enterprise configuration, but... But it sort of looked like somebody had glued the saucer of the Enterprise onto a Star Destroyer, frankly. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought, too. Right. It's too, it's too triangular. Right. And, and so they, I, I guess, uh, Brian Fuller really liked that. I guess that always stuck with him because that was clearly inspiration for Discovery. And, in fact, the, was it Comic-Con when they did the kind of, like, teaser reveal of the Discovery? Yeah. Um, yeah. That teaser... It shows the Discovery coming out of an asteroid base that was never yep. in the show, right? That never happened mm. in the show. No. But that that was inspired by a concept painting that somebody on yep. the Planet of the Titans had done. Um, like oh, a, that's cool. You can look up that painting, and it has the same, like, the, the asteroid had these little, like, circles of light in there or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, anyway, um, so what I like about the Discovery is the same sort of thing we're, we're calling back to. 
the when we talked about why the Enterprise herself was such a you know endured for so long and is so recognizable because by adding that triangle into the silhouette it becomes a very recognizable shape you know it, it's it's still it's still star trek it still has that saucer nacelles body configuration but that triangle makes it look totally different from any other star trek ship that we've seen officially so far um, sure that's true and so yeah i i'd really I really appreciated that they did that, and I, I, I think it turned out really cool. See, then the other thing we have to talk about with Discovery is that, um, like, the saucer is like a donut. Yeah. <laughs> right? Where there's the gap, and then there's the other saucer inside of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that, what, that's What's the rationale for that? Um, it's the spore drive. Yeah, I think they, they sort of worked that into the spore drive. I mean, I'm not... Uh, astromycologist, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, sir? How dare you? I thought you were an expert. Um, uh, Get Paul Stamets on the right, phone. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I have no idea why it needs to do that, but I guess it does. Um, I think they thought it looked cool, quite well, frankly, yeah, but well, I don't really know. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, before the show aired, we actually did get a drop from CBS of Discovery Assets, and it was, like, super... Mm-hmm. T- like, they wouldn't they wouldn't put that on, like, Dropbox or anything for us. We had to mail mm-hmm. them a hard drive, and they put nice. all that stuff on the hard drive, and they mailed it back to us. So we, like, loaded up the files, and then we were looking at the images of the final model of Discovery, and we are like, why... We look paging through these different images. Like, why is the registry number moving on the saucer? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Saw, they had they had rendered it out like during with the saucer spinning. So like it was like a right. little flip book of the registry number like spinning around. I'm like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> so um, it worked out for us because we want all of our ships to have like a really cool ability when we add them sure. in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So, so it's not just cosmetic. It's like there's a strategic reason. And it, for and why it you does pick... from the the video stuff that I've seen of it. Yeah, yeah. It, no, it's a super a really cool, cool power. Ability. Like yeah. having doing the little micro spore jump of like jumping around, mm-hmm. and we call it. I think we call it the Lorca maneuver. But um, <laughs> uh, totally. If yeah. it's not called that, it should yeah. be. Um, Amen. But it's a it's a cool ability. It looks great in the game, and it looks good in the show. Um, yeah. It, I I like that. If you we we looked into it a bit more and. What I like about it is it's just the top and bottom plates that are spinning. It's not right. the whole, like, chunk in the middle. It's not the whole, like, section of the saucer. Right. So, so, so there aren't a bunch of crewmen. Right, right, exactly. You, it is, you it know, is like... centrifuge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. <laughs> uh, okay, while we're talking about that, I have, to, I have to point out that the USS Vengeance... In Into Darkness does a similar thing where there's a, there's like a gap in its saucer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, negative space. I'm just speaking personally. Like that's negative space in that way isn't my favorite design element. Um, I do like in the Discovery how they they sort of rationalized it a bit um, with with the sport. Yeah. Like you assume that okay, it has to do that because the the spore drive, and that's fine. The vengeance. I don't know exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think gave, it serves any no purpose at all. Yeah. Is it like there's a, see, and it's not like it kind of looks like there's a big cannon inside there, right? But it's not like the cannon is going to shoot through right. the saucer, yeah. right? It's a little weird. I mean, one of the interesting things about, uh, like if they if we decide that someday we're gonna, you know, the the U.S. Space Force is gonna actually build some space battleships, um, <laughs> yes. the 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 most effective 
armor you can have in your ship is actually just empty space. Um, like if you if you pack your spaceship full of stuff and then you get hit by a missile or a laser beam, you know the mm -hmm. the all the medium that you have in there, whether it's air or water or hydrogen, that's gonna compress and expand and explode into other things, and you're gonna have a bad huh. day, right? So right. Um, I don't know if you guys watched the Expanse. Um, no, oh, okay. I should though. It's a I great should, it's a great show. One of the cool things about that show is that show is really hard sci-fi. And they actually go yeah. into these these uh, warships, and and when you're in, you, they look up and they're inside this warship, and most of the ship is just empty space. And the idea mm -hmm. is that like when when the ship is actually in battle, they you just go in these little tiny pods um, that are pressurized, but most of the ship is vacuum. And so if a laser hits the ship and just goes straight through the ship, you know it burns a hole in the hull. But that doesn't mean it it doesn't oh, hurt anything so 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 there's not every square meter is not vital right exactly so huh, that's yeah. clever right so like you could make that argument about having all this negative space in a big battleship it's just like well we we don't need anything we don't need that space to do anything i mean the vengeance is huge um it's a giant giant ship well then star trek also has this thing about you know shields right. to sort of like take care of that and issue. structural integrity fields right, and stuff right, like that right. Yeah. yeah, shields are interesting because, like, they make you, if you think about it, like, they sort of make you a bigger target. I mean, like, the traditional, yes. like, TNG-style, like, oh, sure. orb shield. It's bubble. Yeah. yeah. It's bubble rather right. than, like, a, a, a poncho or whatever. When we get to, exactly to it. Nemesis, I think the shields actually, like, clinged to the Enterprise-E, so they must have changed the technology a bit, but... Uh, which, which, makes, which actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you know, yeah. It should be lower profile. Which Nemesis yeah. is not my favorite movie, but the space battle in Nemesis is one of the best space battles, I think, in Star Trek. Like, it's super cool. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I should rewatch that. Just watch yeah. that part. Like, don't worry yeah, about the rest that, of the part. Watch that part yeah. and the deleted scenes, because, like, the best <laughs> the best scenes in the movie are the ones they deleted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that when we did our... Our, our podcast on Nemesis, the thing I brought up is in the in the commercial for it, there's a point where Worf says, I recommend extreme caution, and they cut that out. And I'm like, <laughs> that's what the thing you're teasing us with is extreme caution? <laughs> what? It's like, that wouldn't have even been cool on like a Mountain Dew ad in the 90s. Right. Like, drink this. <laughs> extreme caution. caution. <laughs> anyway, okay, we're getting kind of off, off base. Okay, so we talked about Discovery, and then I guess I, I brought up the... Uh, the vengeance but let's touch a little bit on the the kelvin verse ships so so a lot of people have compared like the kelvin verse enterprise to like a, a a macbook or whatever what what do you think of the way of the way they portrayed the enterprise ample nacelles in uh the kelvin verse it's really interesting to me how different the enterprise looks in beyond um not the a but like when justin lynn came in and he asked mm -hmm. them to like change the proportions of the ship, and they shrunk yeah. the nacelles down a lot. Um, uh, uh, you know that was interesting. Um, I think um, you know what uh, I I read a lot about the design process for the the Kelvin Enterprise, and I appreciated that J.J. Abrams knew that it had to look it had to remind people of the original ship. Like it wasn't going to look like the sh ship from the TV show, but he knew that. It, it had to be recognizable as the Enterprise, otherwise you're just doing 
space teenagers, right? Like, right. it's not Star Trek <laughs> if it's not the Enterprise, which I think is an yeah. important point to make for this whole show, right? Like, yeah, if it yeah. hadn't had the saucer in the cells and the the thing, like, it wouldn't have felt like a Star Trek movie. Yeah, right. um, or a reboot. That's, of the more, that's show. more important than having William Shatner there. Yeah, <laughs> apparently so. Um, you know, I, I think it was interesting how they they took elements from like the the, the refit Enterprise that we like. They're the the reboot um, Kelvin timeline uh, Constitution. There is a lot of stuff they borrowed from the uh, the motion picture Enterprise. Oh sure, yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's really kind of interesting, like. Uh, I had to model, actually model both um, for Star Trek Online, and and I remember, like, and I actually did the refit after I did the Kelvin Enterprise, and so um, I remember doing stuff on the Kelvin. I'm like, oh yeah, that that's totally from, you know, the, yeah. the Kelvin totally lifted that from the reboot uh, or from the refit. Um, I I think I think it's really cool that they kept like the spinning nacelle domes i think that was a really i think that's one of the cooler elements of the original ship to have all those lights and activity and it feels really yeah you don't know what's happening there but like you're like "Ah, that looks powerful that looks important like um and to have that in the the reboot i think was a good call um i think i mean frankly to my taste i think nacelles are are too big um, yeah, uh, I actually liked what Justin Lin did. With yeah, them yeah. Because of that, I, I liked what they did. I wish that they had like they're clearly different nacelles, but I think the the effects guys just like went into their modeling program and just shrunk yeah. them down. Yeah, I wish they I had, think so too. Yeah, I wish they had built <laughs> new ones, right? Like yeah. something like yeah. totally new, just to reinforce it. Like oh, they've been replaced. Um, but you know, I'm you know what I, I mean like. I, I have been under the gun. I know that sometimes you don't yeah, have Yeah, I was going to say, do. considering that they had to rewrite the script on the fly, right. I'm pretty sure... Oh, yeah, because I forgot is, that yeah. Beyond had a lot of different uh, production yeah. issues. So Yeah, it, uh, it went through a lot, so... Yeah. You know. And I did like that. I enjoyed that movie a lot. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I think... Oh, one, oh, go ahead. One cool thing about the Kelvinverse Enterprise that, you know, it's funny, I had never noticed until... I don't remember where I read it, but, I mean, like, this year I read it and went, oh... Geez, I've never noticed that. A cool touch that I that I thought was cool that they did was when it's about to go into warp, the deflector just actually like opens up slightly more and like gets slightly larger to like you know uh, oh. project a larger yeah. sort of the field to get ready to go to warp. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. That's actually really cool, and I was like, oh my god, I've never noticed that because it's fairly subtle. But once you once you see it, you're like, oh, there it is, there it is, you know. Like in, in all the movies, yeah. but it's like, oh, that's so cool. Well, and the, and the fins nice on the back of the cells do that too, which uh, right, is, yeah. is really cool. They expand out. It, and... Yeah, it's it's all, I mean, they, they did some nice little thought, you know, touches like that. And it's like, okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm not sure so... overall I love it, but there are really cool touches like that. I, ha- I have a point about about the Kelvin Enterprise. That, so it was a, a revelation I kind of accidentally came upon um because i remember when they showed the first promotional image of the ship mm-hmm. um before star trek 2009 came out and i didn't like it and i was looking at it like i want to like this why don't i like this and i realized mm-hmm. like oh i don't like it because i haven't heard the music yet like <laughs> that like the, there is something to that you're yeah right. like the 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 ships and the the score in star trek are so like indelibly tied together i almost think of the the music as like that's the enterprise's dialogue 
Like every mm-hmm, time you see sure. the Enterprise, like the music's always swelling or it's like tense or you know exciting or whatever. Like, like that the, they're uh, they're yeah. they're so uh, linked. Um, and um, I said this on my uh, panel about like Star Trek ships uh, SDLV. I got to be on a panel discussing ships with uh, Anovos and Eagle Moss and uh, mm-hmm. Star Trek timelines and Hallmark. Um, that was an amazing panel. Um, but we're talking about like what's it like designing brand new Star Trek ships, and and STO really was the only uh, property on the panel that that were, was doing that. And so right. one of the things that I realized is like as we're developing these concepts and we're iterating and sketching and things that like I know a design is done when I can look at it and I can hear the Star Trek music in my head. Oh, oh nice. that's, that's nice. Cool. Yeah, yeah, and like that's cool. nice. <laughs> so like that's that's kind of a thing that I. I always think about when we're looking at stuff and we're trying to make a new design and like um, I don't get we have a really talented uh, concept artist named Hector Ortiz who's done some really amazing work uh, for us and so he he designs a lot of our ships Uh, sometimes I'll get to design things myself although I don't really I don't get to make the really cool concept images like he does but I can mock things up and and get get it far enough along that I can execute the rest of it. But that's right. whether it's critiquing his stuff or doing my own stuff. That's always what I think about is like, can I can I feel this? You know, like because because you want every ship, especially in Star Trek Online, it's important that every ship is a hero ship. You want every ship to have a personality and, and say something about itself. And you want people who are flying it to feel like this could be the star of their own Star Trek show. So that's sure. really, really yeah. important to me um, and, and part of my emotional connection with ships. Thank that you makes for perfect thank sense. you for yeah. sharing that that that's um that's that's uh that's really cool for you, for you to have that personal experience and it's got to be really thrilling for you to be able to do that for your job. Oh yeah. But one thing you 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 use the phrase hero ship and and we're we need to wrap it up soon. We we have some other things we wanted to get into so we're going to but because of the Picard news that kind of took up some of our the hour. So I wanted to talk a little bit about alien or villain ships a little bit. And the ones that, that you guys like and maybe don't like and what you think makes a good villain ship versus uh, versus is the phrase you use, hero ship. So, so I mean, the, the big ones are Romulans, Klingons, Borgs, Ferengi, and Cardassian. So, so Thomas, what, what do you think about that array of potentially adversarial ships? Or what, what are some other good adversary ships that maybe we only see in a couple episodes that you love having in STO that, that you want to highlight? Yeah, it's well, it's been really interesting. If you look at the ships... Um, how they made ships for Star Trek during like TOS and the movies and TNG and I guess early part of DS9 and then going into Voyager and Enterprise everything was digital right so like right. the way ships looked and the things they could do with ships drastically changed but ha- sure. having made like for STO I get to make we get to make up new stuff but we also have to replicate existing stuff and and I, I noticed there's a really weird difference between building a modeling based on a, an actual physical model ship versus a mm-hmm. 3D model ship. And usually the, the physical model ship is actually better. Like, it turns out better. Um, and because... I, I will say, if I can interject briefly, like, when I saw the Discovery, I... I always felt it was fake in that regard right like i yeah. could feel there wasn't a real ship somewhere like you could with with some of the other stuff you're mentioning yeah yeah um i think and and i don't know i i don't know exactly why it feels that way like 
um, for for me, it it usually ends up being that like when you have when you build something physically, there's a minimum size to things. Like right. the plastic has to be this thick, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. uh, and um, that translates into a, a sort of like solidness and believability that you don't necessarily get if you're just like, oh, I just want to make these cool stretchy wings that are going to go every which way and look really cool and alien. And that's fine. Like that's neat, but it doesn't, there's just a, it's just a a different process that yields different uh, results. I, right. I I do think the earlier, the earlier, like more iconic aliens, because they started as miniatures have something to their ships, uh, have a soul to them that some of the newer stuff doesn't doesn't quite have. Like like the Romulan Warbird and that kind of stuff. Yeah, the Dideradex. Uh, they- yeah, the yeah, dude. The first the time that yeah, the first so time great. that uncloaks in the neutral zone, it's terrifying. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it looks like that beak is just gonna bite right into the saucer section. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's uh, Andy Probert designed that. He also he's the guy who designed mm-hmm. the Enterprise D and a lot of early TNG stuff. Um, and the actually he Andy Probert designed the um, refit Enterprise. Yep. Um, yep. But uh, yeah, and well, and, and what works really well, I think, for for villain ships is uh, having a brand. <laughs> like oh, okay, you, yeah, talk about that. Right. Well, I mean, like Romulan ships, it's the bird, right? And and right, TOS sure. established that that great big orange bird on the bottom of the ship. Yeah. And yeah. and then when they did the the Dideradex, they they decided to make it green, but like there's still a really powerful bird motif, and every Romulan ship after that has kept in that tradition, uh, and yes. they've come up with some really cool stuff. And the stuff we make for STO, no matter who's working on it, the Romulan stuff always turns out great because you you have such a powerful identity that it's really it's kind of like you know peanut butter jelly sandwich. She's just like make it look like a bird, okay? Like it's <laughs> it's not right. gonna it's not gonna look bad because it's the that's you have those proportions. Yeah, because it just looks cool yeah. because of looking like a bird. Right. Yeah. Um, set out for you, and so I think like the Borg uh, are another great example of like here's a big cube, and like <laughs> that's that's kind of nuts, but it it's it's scary. Like the first time you see the the Borg, yeah. you're just like it's so alien. Um, yeah, yeah, because it shows they don't care about anything. Right. They're just like they have z- they have zero f's to give. Exactly. Right. That's what that indicates. <laughs> yeah. Aesthetics be damned. You right. Know? Yeah, yeah. Just a cube. Like. Yeah. So I think I think the Romulan and Borg are two probably two of the best like adversary ships, mm-hmm. uh, ship families. Um, Klingons so, have really cool the ships. Most... I'm sorry. Was it? Oh, I said Klingons have some really cool oh, ships, okay. but they're less. That, that's just about what I was about to say. So yeah, but they're less yeah, cohesive, like in terms of sure the um, design family. Yeah, because they've gotten bird-like over the years and then right. sort of retreated from it a little bit. Right, and then yeah. Discovery, uh, and it was intentional. The Discovery Klingon ships are all over yeah, the place. They're they're quite something. Right, they're quite a motley crew. Honestly, I'm really curious to see. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how much more Klingon stuff we're going to get in season two. I'm curious to see how all that evolves. They've they've said some really yeah. interesting things about like how fans are going to freak out about the way Klingons look in season yes. two. And, yeah, that was yes. interesting when they then they kind of tickle us with that. Yeah, so I don't know if that's going to translate into the ships at all. I kinda, I hope it does. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, what did what do you think of the Ferengi and Cardassian ships? And they, there's really only one of each. I mean, I guess they have like some shuttles, but there's really only one like. Uh, 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 freighter type of ship that we've seen from them but what do you think of those two 
um, yeah, the Ferengi Marauder was, um, that's another Andrew Probert design, and he actually, excuse me, um, he, uh, one of the things that you see, the very first time you see that ship, and you never see it again, uh, but we actually do it in STO, is when, uh, the Enterprise meets the Ferengi ship, uh, no, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, and the, and it like opens up, like there are these. It's like yeah, it has like a little threat pose. Kind yeah, of, right? exactly. Thing, yeah. Things fold yeah. out and down and up, and it's crazy. It's oh, weird. Yeah. I need to rewatch I, that. Like I, in, yeah. in in um uh, uh don't come on, it's gonna come to me in the last outpost. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. Seem scary. Okay. And yeah. they never do that again. I mean, you you actually you maybe see that ship like two or three times. Like it's not. Uh, I think I mean I think that says a lot about it because I think it's become an iconic design. Like it has an iconic look to it, but like, yeah, it's it's the horseshoe crab of space. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it, it, <laughs> both it and the Galar class. I feel are meant to look like sea creatures. Yeah, absolutely, and that's actually mm -hmm. uh, Hector, uh, the concept artist Nestio. He has a couple books that are just like photographs of plankton, and like, and he uh, looks at those smart. for like design inspiration sometimes. Yeah, um, yeah. Makes perfect sense, yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I I think the the Ferengi Marauder is cool, and we've gotten for STO we've gotten to extrapolate on both the well I mean all of them really, uh, all the yeah. different aesthetics. So we've gotten to make our own Ferengi designs, our own Cardassian designs, and that's I'll been a lot of fun. That. Yeah. We the, I will try and put a link when we put this up to Hector's to Hector's uh oh, cool. station portfolio because it's really I'm looking at it right now it's 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 impressive. Yeah, he's done it's some cool. cool. He's done some really cool yeah. stuff. Uh, yeah. Some, Something that's interesting about the Ferengi Marauder is it, it's kind of an indication to me of how they stumbled with that alien race and then corrected, and then with Deep Space Nine just kind of went off on a different tangent with them. Right, yeah. Because through all of, even though there is at least one Ferengi in every episode of Deep Space Nine, we never ever see the Marauder. Right. Yeah. Right. In fact, I was even expecting like with some of the stuff, the uh, like in the, in the last episode uh, where there's the big battle of in Cardassia Prime. And the Cardassians join, and everyone's fighting against the Dominion. I was expecting to see some Marauders show up because they'd made Rom the Grand Nagus, and I was expecting like, oh, Rom's gonna say even the Ferengi are joining the fight. Yeah, he. And even then, we we still didn't see him. <laughs> he should have had like Ferengin R one or something, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we uh, we actually do yeah. have hey, a get, get off my ship, right? <laughs> we have a gold plated Marauder in STO. Yeah. Uh, oh dear. That's, oh, that's very fitting. Yes. <laughs> Let me look that up. Uh, okay, so what? Um, are there any other like sort of ships we only see a couple times that you want? And, and we gotta cut this off, so this will be the last point. But then there's ships that we see just a couple times that you that you think are, are cool that you want to mention. Um, let's see. Um, I mean there there are so many great ones that were the the Husnock ship. Somebody mentioned that a minute ago. And yeah, yeah, I love the Husnock. Yeah, that yeah. that that was a really cool ship, and I I played the. Um, the, the CCG, the Decipher yes. CCG, and that was a yep. that was a clutch card. That was the it was, best ship. Yeah, it was because it, it had the shields of twelve. Yeah, it had like shields, but it was still pretty common, so it was like relatively easy to get. So you could pad out your fleet, and it was a neutral and, ship, and, so anybody could use it. Anybody could use it, and and it there, it wasn't unique, so you could use three if you needed to. Yeah, I actually um, we were looking. We actually I I actually modeled that for STO. Um, because we we wanted to do a, a few different releases centered around TNG, um, it it's, it was hard actually. It was surprisingly hard because TNG jumped or you know was so episodic that there wasn't like there's not really an iconic villain for TNG right, right. that we didn't already have 
you know, because Romulans oh, sure. Klingons, right? Like, I, I mean, except the Borg cube, but we only see that in three episodes. Right, but you could argue that actually the Voyager kind of co-opted the Borg. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's not even an argument. Right. Um, <laughs> and so so that was hard for us to – stuff that we didn't have that wasn't like – so much of what TNG did became staple Star Trek that everybody used that like mm. making a set of TNG things to celebrate TNG was actually a challenge. But the Husnock thing was something I suggested. And that ship actually also showed up as – and it might have been this... I don't remember which one it was first, but the smuggler ship in uh, Unification. Yeah, Unification comes later. Okay, so. cool. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I actually... So, yeah. I did both of those, and that was that was a ton of fun. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I, that was a cool ship. It's just a... Um, and, then, and then that model got refit. Like, like, it got used, like, five or six different times to be, mm-hmm. like, a Bajoran freighter, um, the mm-hmm. Husnock, this the smuggler ship, all sorts of stuff. Um, but, yeah. Uh, I like that ship a lot. Um, there was another cool TNG ship that Andrew Probert designed that was like a Tellarian plague ship or something. It had this oh, big... Oh, yeah, big yeah, yeah. From uh, Haven. Ball yeah, center, yeah, that, yeah, that big floating ball was cool. I don't know yeah. if they ever explained like what that was. And I th- no. I think they used that later and they, they took the glowing ball out and just like filled the center in. So it just kind of had mm. this... It had a cool like manta ray look to it. Um, oh yeah, they they did reuse. That's yeah, right. mm-hmm. so uh, you know those 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 alien ships are are cool. I like the Bajoran fighter as well. Uh, oh sure, that yeah, that we like to see Kira and Dax pilot. Yeah, yeah, because they look tough and little yeah. like Bajorans are basically. Well, yeah, yeah, well said. It's a tough people. It's a type of thing that you they don't really go into much in Star Trek, like fighter fighter combat and all that stuff, like. Right. Um, they they really leverage it a lot in the Dominion War and yeah um, yes they do yeah I think that was sort of a I have I have this whole like headcanon about it about how like uh, the Federation like Starfleet military doctrine had kind of given up on those fighters but then the Maquis started using them effectively and so like the Starfleet admirals were like oh okay well oh, I we guess need, like we need to roll this back out yeah yeah we need to yeah exactly use this again and and then and so they brought that back and for the Dominion. And I, I feel like probably what happened was because the Dominion like steamrolled the Maquis, there were probably a decent number of like Starfleet officers who joined the Maquis and then like left to go re like find asylum with Starfleet again after mm, and they and they were the they were the ones who could pilot those ships. Right, yeah. They were like, hey, this is this, these are the tactics these use this is how you make this a viable strategy even when you have these big capital ships. So yeah, I've thought a lot about that. But uh, so that's that's a that's a new episode right there. Yeah, or something. yeah. <laughs> See, and it's an episode that needed to be made because the Maquis get wiped out off screen. Yeah, that's with just a little they? throwaway it's, it's a that real, Eddington says. It's a real shame. They go to all this effort to set them up because, of course, it's a setup yeah. in Deep Space Science. A setup for the for, you know for the Voyager. Of Voyager, well, yeah. of course. Uh, was it? I, I think I. Is it true that like they were set up explicitly for Voyager? Like, yeah, yeah I think that's they were. that's the idea. Yeah. Is they started to, they started to seed them through the two two shows to make which sure. Which is crazy to me but, that they were thinking like that far ahead. Yeah, like that's well, awesome. you know, again, Star Trek was doing like a, a you know a cinematic universe before that was a thing. Right, right? absolutely, like, they, they were. They were absolutely doing that. They were. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. We've gone too long. Last question. I have to ask this: What do you think of the Prometheus and multi-vector assault mode? <laughs> it's a it's a lot there. of fun in Star Trek Online. Um, I I think um, 
I think if you're going to build a ship that can turn into three ships, like maybe just build three ships, but <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to be too judgy about it. I I I don't know. I'm not an expert in 24th century warfare, so there <laughs> there mu- mu- must be something about 24th century warfare that makes in the context of the Star Trek universe where that is and the most efficient use of resources. See, the thing with like the separating the saucer section with the Enterprise D having families on it is the idea is if they knew they were going to a highly kinetic situation, they could separate the saucer section at a base and leave the families there right. so they would not be jeopardizing their children, right. right? So that makes a lot of sense. But splitting into three ships for no reason at all, that just seems like it's asking for technical problems to happen. Yeah, it's it seems risky and highly experimental and I wonder I mean, if your if your goal is to, um, I mean, it, it does a couple things. It turns one target into three smaller targets, which is good. Sure. Um, yeah. It um, it turns one threat access into three threat axes, which is also uh-huh. good. Um, sure. So, and if you're if you don't lose too much power output, because it seemed like every one of those sections had their own warp core. Um, it did seem like that. Yeah. yeah. Then you're, you know, you're doing theoretically like two and a half or three times as much damage uh, from different angles, which I think is the important thing. That you're like, since they can't just like you know reinforce the one shield facing that is facing you, now they have to worry about three different yeah shield facings. Right. Like I yeah, but. But then I, you I also have three is, uh, different warp cores that could breach, right? Yeah. And you, you yeah. need you need yeah. three times the human resources. Right, exactly. Yes, you do. I think this all comes from from um, the sort of sw- successful tactic that they did in Best of Both Worlds Part oh, 2. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I so I have a feeling that this is sort of that, you know, you could sort of, uh, you know, in-universe explain it as part of that whole... When they, uh, when they had the... Experimental tech from... From rebuilding the fleet okay. to be Borg specific, yeah. like fight the Borg specifically. Sure, the way, yeah, you know? like the way the Defiant is, right. like yeah. the Defiant is part of that yeah. program. Yeah. Well, right. what's what's great? I love fan. Uh, I love just going into these rabbit holes because, like, if you think about the Federation as a bureaucracy, which it is, like, mm-hmm. there are so many things that, like, it doesn't necessarily have to make sense. Like the the F um, the F thirty five. It's which is a real plane that taxpayers oh, are yeah. really paying for. Yes, it's like yeah. just this huge <laughs> giant boondoggle that like yeah. they have to like paint the fuel tanks white because it gets too hot and that like overloads the computers on the plane and then it won't fly. Like, like yeah. just ridiculous yeah. stuff, right? That you like they should know better. So maybe the Prometheus is some Federation senator's boondoggle. That he was like, it's like I need to make sure that all of my constituents I, I, have jobs. I need to keep so. my constituents on Mars right. happy with right. this, with this, yeah. uh, uh, with this bridge to nowhere, this ship to nowhere. <laughs> yeah. The other thing yeah. is like the the name of the ship is, I mean, Prometheus. He stole fire from the gods and gave it to mankind, right? Right. So Prometheus is 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 kind of like a savior figure in Greek mythology. Um, he's not someone who is split into three parts. I'm trying to think what a but what a better analogy would have been. Like um, Hydra or something, uh, right? Hydra, yeah, yeah. or Ouroboros or something like that. I don't know. Um, but it's still kind of a cute little episode. Or uh, and I, Cerberus would be would have been a great one. Cerberus, yeah, Cerberus, because oh, he's got yes, three heads. There, there it is. Perfect. perfect. Okay, they're yeah. still Greek. Yeah, one of our – actually, what we have different variants uh, 
options, part options for our Prometheus, and one of them we actually did name Cerberus, which is pretty cool. Oh, ah, there. Okay, perfect. that's why. Okay, yeah. well, you Very already good. knew that because you're already smarter than me, so it's not because <laughs> you're smarter than me right now. Okay, we, we, we've gone a little too long, so we need to, to cut it up. But, uh, Matt, always a delight to have you. Sorry we couldn't have the other two members of the team, but Thomas, you filled in delightfully for them. Thank you for being our guest. Yes, thank, thank you, you uh, we, we wish you the best of luck with Star Trek Online, and we hope that you can come back sometime. Oh, it's my pleasure anytime. I obviously love talking about the game, love talking about ships and Star Trek. It's, it's, uh, it's a great time. So thank you so much for having me, and I really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Good, goodbye, everybody. All right, bye, guys. Bye.